0: Log Talk Radio.
1: There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how I many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black, because you don't, blacks don't have do black have having the businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Black won't practice group economics. Black won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up, as I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economic. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries, control buildings and industry, and put that pulls in your money and hold that money and, as a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces eight, 12 to 13 times, or at least Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk gotta learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they over-incarcerate over you? You're going to go out and have a march, or demonstration. We're going to march. March what? Who cares? Marching has never changed anything.
2: Another installment of It's My House and uh, today's podcast is titled Faking Normal at fifty five with Elizabeth uh, with, excuse me, tongue test twisted. Faking normal at fifty-five with Elizabeth White. The live stream number is six one nine seven six eight two nine four five. Once again, the live stream number is six one nine seven six eight two nine four five. And once again, Uh, Our guest today is Elizabeth White, the author of Faking Normal at 55, which the information in this book can apply to people even 25. Because 55 will be there sooner than you think, uh, due to this time. You know, it doesn't stand still. Um, While we're uh, waiting for our guest to call in, wait a minute. see, we're going to hold back on announcements, but uh, we're going to play this short clip and then hopefully be back, I guess. Thank you.
3: Chicken wings for that money, even though they was no good. But you do get something for your money. But when you put your money in the church bucket, what do you get back? Hope in a future after you die. And my position on that, if I have to die to experience heaven, I don't need that religion. Mm. Anyone who tells me that I should be content with accepting hell on earth, When the white man has his heaven here and the Chinese man has his heaven here and the Arab and East Indian has his heaven here and they're even building their heaven in my ghetto and you're telling me I got to die in order to experience what they are getting right now? That's a religion I don't need because that's a religion for servitude. And so we have to put the black church to task and ask them, what are you doing without Jesus' money? Let me tell you what they're doing with your Jesus' money. Every black church in America has their money in a white bank. It is the white banks that are funding the regentrification, ethnic cleansing movement. So all of us go to church. We put $3 million in the church coffers every Sunday. $3 million goes to a white bank every Sunday. And guess what they do on Monday? They take $3 million of black people's white Jesus money and they give loans to white land developers and businesses and entrepreneurs to come into the ghetto where the church is located, buy up all the property, and force grandma out on the street homeless. Now, grandma been going to that church for 30 years. Grandma been giving that church $50 every Sunday. And lo and behold, grandma had to finally face the reality that it was your Jesus money that put your ass on the street. And today
2: there are a lot of grandmas, grandpas, and uh, people, millennials, that are on the street because, um I'll call it miseducation, which leads to our guest today and uh, the book uh, that we're going to be talking about today, um, today's podcast is titled Faking Normal at 55, and our guest today is Elizabeth White. Now, once again, the live stream number uh, is 619 768 Once again, 619 768 We have an on-demand number. We're doing a live stream right now, but we have an on-demand number where you can listen to this podcast after the live stream. 24 uh at least 24 hours anywhere in the world, and that number is 712 432 8863. Once again, 712 432 8863. I'll give that number out again towards the conclusion of the program, but uh, once again, faking normal at 55. We have a lot of people that are not even 55 that are attempting to fake normal. So let, let's get our guests right now. Uh good morning, Elizabeth
4: Good White. morning for having yeah,
2: great. Thank you for being on here first of uh first of the year. Uh not J one but the second Monday. Uh Elizabeth explain now you we're gonna get into the book in a moment. But define for us what is faking normal.
4: Faking normal is pretending that you're doing better than you're doing. Faking normal is wearing a
5: mask
4: in the world. Faking normal is being in pain and not feeling like there's any place where you can go to be truthful about the situation that you're in. And millions of us who do this on a on a daily basis, because the sort of narrative that's out there about particularly um, you know if you get to be uh, fifty five and older, is what I call the positive aging happy talk. So there are lots of articles on the ten best places to retire. There are articles on, you know, people moving to Costa Rica, uh, this sort of cheery scenario when a lot of us are facing a situation where we may not have enough money to retire. Uh, with longevity, The you know, what they call the longevity bonus, meaning that uh, if we're in good health in our early 60s, we easily have another – 20, 25 years to live, and if we're broke now, that's a really long time to try to be uh, putting the pieces together. And we think we're by ourselves, and so the faking normal is pretending that we're okay in this situation because what we're hearing in the uh, media Uh, Describes a scenario that does not actually apply to us. And we have no sort of understanding that there are actually millions of people who are in this situation of having not saved enough, having not set aside enough to last them, you know, the 20, 25 years that they may well live.
2: Okay. Now, give us your educational background.
4: So I have lots of props and credentials. So I uh, went undergraduate to Oberlin College. I have a master's in international studies from John Hopkins. I have a Harvard MBA. i worked as a C-suite executive at a mid-size nonprofit. I've worked at the World Bank. I've traveled extensively. I've been an entrepreneur. Uh, You know, I was National Retailer of the Year by the National Retail Association, which is a major, in fact, the largest uh, retail trade association in the world. So lots of, um, you know, props and uh, credentials and not that unusual to also have hit an icy patch. I mean, one of the things as I researched my book and I started hearing from lots and lots of people, um, we are now starting to see people who've had decent incomes or great incomes, career choice privilege, facing a work-for-life proposition and downward mobility. So, you you know, um, certainly there are those of us who've been struggling all our lives in an old age. uh, It's just more struggle. There are also now people who, and we all know them, and we may in fact be referring to ourselves, people who were doing well for many years, have now hit an icy patch and are 52 or 62 and find that the network that they used to have, communities that used to regularly present themselves no longer do, and that they are looking at living on much less money than they ever
2: anticipated. Right. Right. Uh, I know that feeling. Um, now, mm-hmm. that with the with the background that you have, and there's a lot of people with your background. Um, what? Well, I guess I already know what motivated you to write the book. But I guess what was what was the final incident or event that happened in your life that you decided to be proactive and write the book and self publish it.
4: So. Situation where uh, this is right around the 2009 recession, where I was out of work and just was my phone wasn't linked and I had all these credentials. I had uh, I was used to having a network, being able to kind of quickly get a job and I was applying to places, I just wasn't getting called back. And I still was trying to hold it together in the public sense. So friends of mine that would invite me to lunch, you know, I'm trying to, you know, order the middle of water, not order a glass of wine. I'm trying to, I'm looking at the menu, can I get a, a starter instead of a main
1: course,
4: uh, you know, still had the clothes from when I uh, had been making money. So I looked the part. I still lived in the place. I lived in the same place for over 30 years. So I didn't have to have people over to see that uh, there was a water leak in the ceiling or that my carpet needed cleaning or whatever it was. And I noticed, other people, other women, I'm going to say other women, who were also kind of staking normal. And you'd see, you know, that sister whose hair is always on point, she's a little long between appointments. Or someone who, um, you know, always had their nails done, didn't, or Someone who was ordering, you know, as I said, the soups instead of the main course or declining the invitation altogether. And so a couple of us started out with one woman in particular who started talking and started being candid with each other, started telling each other the truth about what was happening. And... This particular woman, uh, we just sort of held each other up through this period. And I remember we must have borrowed the same $300 back and forth a dozen times. When she had money, I had money. And it was in this place, I was sitting on my bed. I was sitting cross-legged on my bed. And I just wrote, an essay, and uh, maybe later if we have time, I can read it or read part of it. Sure. And that essay I submitted, and it was eventually made its way to the PBS Facebook page. And in three days, it had 11,000 likes, and over a thousand comments. So I read every comment. And my email address was also there. So then people started to email me directly with story after story, like what I was describing. And what I heard over and over was, thank you for talking about this. This is me. This is my story. Nobody's talking about this. I thought I was by myself. And eventually I started to engage people, you know, back and forth by email, and I have the background. I can look at the data. And when I looked at the data, I was astonished at what I was seeing. You know, I was seeing things like uh, for people 55 to 64, nearly a third of Americans that age, 29%, have not saved a dime, nothing. I saw that among those who have saved, the median value of their retirement account, so, you know, uh, 50% above, 50% 50% low was $104,000. So I thought, you know, $104,000 sounds better than zero. How long are we going to really live on $104,000? Two years, three on the outside, and you got 25 more to go. And I started to realize, you know, I was saying that. of Americans couldn't pull together $400 for an emergency. That's almost half. That means every other adult youth can't pull together $400. But we look good, drive good, smell good. And I got the idea to write a different kind of book. I have the background. I can write a really wonky
0: Bookings Institute tome,
4: dry book. Um, But I thought I wanted to write a book that I wanted to read as I was grappling with this situation. So my model for writing 55 Unemployed and Faking Normal was standing at my back fence, Talking to my neighbor. And I wanted it to be accessible, readable, because I know when you're in the throes of being in this place, you know, the energy, the way through something that this man is
0: written.
4: So I wanted to tell stories, I wanted to have enough facts to make case but I wanted this to be a book that you could feel like somebody is sitting next to me as I'm having my cup of coffee, a cup of tea, or drinking my beer. And so that was kind of the journey, seeing so many people respond, looking at the data, looking at the kinds of books that were out there, I wanted to write a book that was written by someone who was having uh, this experience. And what I've learned from the people who have written to me from folks who the whole bottom has fallen out of their uh, lives, and they have you know, food pantries, living in their vehicles, you know, that kind of, it can go all the way to there, to people managing to hold it together on their house, that maybe lost their car, or yeah. had to go on food stamps, and every other kind of
2: There's a lot of them out there like that. Um now, in your book, Fifty-Five and Faking Normal, what strategies, because uh, I'm, I'm, I had the book on my phone, what strategies uh, in your research did you discover? Well, first thing, before we even get to the book, what strategies did you see yourself implementing to to live? Well, there were, you know, a lot of different
4: to
2: do was to realize that I was not by myself. Right. Okay, I think Elizabeth, your call is going in and out. We can't hear you at the moment. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. Now I can't hear you. Okay, you could have hit okay. me, or you might have... say something again. Hello.
4: I'm here. Can you hear me?
2: Okay. Now, now we can hear you. Yes. Now I can't hear you.
0: Hello.
4: Move
2: around. Okay. Oh, I just heard you again. All right. While we're waiting for Elizabeth to come back in, today's is my house. We are. I just heard you. All right. Say something again. Can you hear me now? We can hear you now. And for the people just tuning in, we're speaking with Elizabeth White, author of the book Faking Normal at 55. So, Elizabeth, if you're there. We're back to you. We might have to move okay. around a little bit more. Okay, we hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Not alone. That you're not alone.
2: Okay. Now we can't hear you. Hello? Yeah. Okay, Hold on, yeah. Okay. sure. Hold on. What'd you say? And anyway, while we're waiting for Elizabeth to come back on. Uh, 619-768-2945 is the live stream number. We're speaking with Elizabeth White, author of Faking Normal at 55. You can get um, your own copy of the book. Uh, I just downloaded it to my phone on Amazon, but... Uh, so, give uh, other ways would you get it as well? So Elizabeth, you back? No. Oh, okay. Speak, yeah, just continue to speak. Okay, we can't hear anything no. now. You cannot hear me. I, like, now I can hear you. I just heard you. I can hear you now.
4: Oh, well, there's a lot of.
2: Shame and oh, now we can't hear you. Uh, Let's see. Hello. Yeah. All right. Uh, One possible strategy on the phone:
0: you can call
2: into my number, then I can patch you into the boiler. We can see if that works.
4: So, what number should I call
5: into?
2: You know my two hundred two number. You Can you hear
0: me? What is the
4: 202 number?
2: Yeah, two hundred two, two eight zero, five one five three.
4: 5153
2: Call into that. All right. All right, let's see. All right, anyway, we're waiting. All right, well. We started out well. Anyway, we're waiting for Elizabeth White to call back in, author of the book, Faking Normal at 55. And we're trying to straighten out um, the phone issue here, which uh, was going well at first. Okay, here she is. Um, uh, Elizabeth, you there?
0: Yes. Can you hear me? All
2: right, me? great. Yeah, it's clear. All right, continue to where you left.
4: It's realizing that you're not alone, that there are millions of us in this situation, and the reason that that's important is because there's a lot of shame and embarrassment about landing here. And shame and embarrassment are paralyzing. You can't, you know, sort of function the way you need to function. You are, uh, you know, investing too much time in hiding when you're ashamed and embarrassed. The first thing is recognizing that this is a national crisis and there are millions of people here. The second thing is recognizing that there's no big rescue in the works. The Calvary is not coming, I like to say.
0: Mm -hmm. And
4: the reason, hold on. This is important, is because when we look at what's happening in terms of um, all these cuts to Medicaid, you know, proposed cuts to Meals on Wheels, to uh, energy assistance, and you know, legal aid there's no uh, rescue here to help uh, people who've landed here so that if we want some options, they're going to actually have to come from us. Right. So that's the other kind of big kind of recognition for me.
0: Right. I agree.
2: Go ahead. Hey, I, I agree with that. That's where your book, I believe, should be, uh... Looked at as a textbook on, you know, how to, um, I guess, reinvent or re-educate yourself. Uh, Because the way I look at the system, mainstream education system in the United States, and well, even outside the United States, but probably about 150 to 200 years behind, uh, and I've got a college degree and all this other stuff. Because I was looking at, I guess, soon after I graduated college, which is 1980, I guess man, wait a minute something's amiss here, but I couldn't put my finger on it <laughs> for several years until I, I made a I had a trip. I guess uh, first time I went to Europe, and they were just living the way they lived could put put pluses in you know pluses in the, the dollar uh, amount. I mean your dollar dollar column, so. Then I started running to people over here that were, you know, living a certain lifestyle. So I, you know, I just came to the realization here, they, they, there's no required course or even academic degree, on to that I know of, dealing with um, lifestyles, inflation calculators, uh, thinking a hundred to two hundred years out, things like that, um, living debt free. Because this society runs on debt and the you know, people get into certain appearances trying to fake normal and it 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 it, it runs up the debt. Um but there are a bunch of people who live certain lifestyles that are not in debt. I mean, one of us this a high profile group, the Amish, but there are other people besides the Amish and Midnight Mennonites. But going to your book um you have some interesting strategies and people in that book. Uh just one off the top of my head where we had our original conversation, um, which struck with me, because I've got a house in DC myself, over in Riggs Park. And um I gotta pay the taxes on that soon. But in any event, <laughs> there's a lot of people that I've when I was renovating houses um, we go to uh, uh, any shelter, Salvation Army uh, in D.C., that Central Union Mission down on 14th Street. And in those shelters, I ran into what we would call professional people. One guy down there, he was he was a former judge of former business owners that they, they were in this shelter. We've done other podcasts where we've done audios on people who have had, you know, maybe two Ivy League degrees and were living on the street. So I I came to the conclusion there must be a miseducation in mainstream education, including private schooling here in the United States. And some of the basic things that we need to learn, education, in my opinion, will be uh, one thing we preach on here is, you know, how to build your own house without bank financing. And then on top of that, before you even build that house, find a patch of land in an area that will allow you to live a sustainable lifestyle. Um, However, most people that probably listen to this podcast live on the grid, meaning they live in a, a large city that's, in my opinion, like has too much government regulation. So your book has some, some strategies in it that are very interesting. One of them, which is the main motivator, actually the second motivator had me call you or contact you rather, um, with tiny houses, um, which we talk about here quite frequently. And in March, uh, we'll be out at our Oklahoma location putting up a tiny house place. So could you go into tiny houses or some of the other strategies that's in your book?
4: So what, it, what I like about the tiny uh, house movement is it's a way on a modest income to still live in dignity. And really what I'm, I'm updating the book now, and I'm, you know, looking at more stories that answer the question, how do we live richly textured and connected lives on a modest income? Because the truth is, millions of us will never again make the money that we used to make. It's not going to happen. There'll be some outliers, but in general, there will be a lot of us who are plus 50 who are looking at a lot less money than we to live on. So what might that mean? I just visited the building museum here in D.C. It's a fabulous exhibit on trends in housing, what's going to happen um, given the changing demographics and the changing economics, and they looked at tiny houses, and they looked at multi-generational houses. There are many uh, families, and not just immigrant families, who are pulling together and living in one household, uh, meaning two or more generations. And, you know, that number has exploded since 2009. You have... Um, Uh, micro apartments now where people uh, live around apartments around a common kitchen and a common living area. Now, a lot of these are geared to uh, millennials who are doing really well and they're very expensive, but there is starting to be thinking now about how are we going to accommodate all of these uh, Americans who are getting older and don't have a lot of income. Uh, I've been going around lately. My mother is 88, and we've been looking at different kinds of senior care facilities. Just jaw dropping what these places cost. I'm seeing four, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars a month, and some of them want that plus hundred and fifty thousand dollar deposit.
2: That's crazy.
4: Millions of us are not gonna be able to do this. So what what I love about the tiny house and not all of them are, you know, where you need to, you know, basically like shimmy up a pole to get to your, you know, bed on the second level or you've gotta hoist yourself up on some ladder and you're thinking like that's not gonna work. I'm seeing now, because the thing is, um, the majority of people in tiny houses are actually already over 50. And so they're starting to make tiny houses where the bedroom is on the main floor.
0: Right.
2: Uh,
4: You know, making it then easier for uh, us who are um, entering our third act to, you know, live there comfortably. And I went for the first time to a tiny house exhibit a few months ago, the Mid Atlantic uh tiny house uh, um exhibit and met I think I want her name is Jewel, I wanna say McCabe, who um has a fabulous uh African American woman has a fabulous um tiny house um And is, you know, I identified with it uh, immediately when I um, Mm -hmm. saw it, as I have a lot of uh, African art from the time that I was traveling and hers is appointed in that way. And you can see all kinds of, you know, tiny houses. I know many of you out there probably have watched some of the, Uh, shows on cable of what is uh, possible. So all the, um, you know, alternatives, whether, you know, micro, multi-generational, golden girl style, uh, Airbnb, uh, the fastest-growing segment of Airbnb, uh, 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 women over 50 who are renting out their spare bedrooms to make a little bit of money. There are more Uber drivers over 50 than under 30. So we're already trying to patchwork together uh, additional income. We're already thinking uh, creatively about how are we going to live. And what I do in the book is sort of talk about um, uh, some of these trends to just put possibilities in the picture that, um, one of the things that's going to be really important for us is a mindset shift.
2: Right. I agree.
4: And, you know, it means, um, I do much more now shopping in my closet than I used to I uh, and every person is going to decide kind of what's important uh, to you. I have uh, my mother and I. We went uh, out recently and we divided an entree, and it just made it much more affordable. But it fed sort of my desire to you know I still like to eat out. Uh, you know, for you, it might be something else. But we're just, you know, from that small example to, um, you know, getting our head around having a roommate if we haven't had a roommate
3: before.
4: And this is, I'm not going to tell you that these are easy transitions. Uh, but when I, when you were asking me about Strategy. One of the things I that helped me was when a friend of mine said you have to think strategy, not failure. So that means if you really need to be calling up your sister to move in with her temporarily until you get your footing, you need to call her. If you need to be, you know, getting rid of your gas guzzling, SUV, because you really can't make the payments. I, I remember a friend of mine, Her the uh, uh, financing company was hassling her because so she was always late with her payment. And finally, she just took that SUV back. And then they were scrambling around trying to make all kinds of deals with her and trying to help her to keep the vehicle, things that they would not do when she had it in her driveway, but when she said, "You know what? I'm sick of this. Take it back." Now they were all ready to make a deal, and she talked about how much weight lifted off of her when she turned that vehicle back in. She didn't have the uh, insurance, the, the you know gas cost. The uh, in D.C. they're very aggressive with the tickets that double and triple on you of just. Uh, And then her next move, she just moved much closer to public transportation. So all of these kinds of how do we strategy and not failure? How do we look at turning that car back in, calling our sister, getting on food stamps, whatever the thing is that we have to do to make sure that we can go another round? So these are the kinds of things in my own head and what I write about in the book. um, How do we stop what I call magical thinking? This feeling that if I just tighten my belt and just send out one more CV or go to one more networking event, it's all going to turn around for me, and you're in year three of being unemployed. And it doesn't mean that you can't have, uh, you know, hopefulness that you just stop applying altogether. You have a more realistic picture about what's possible. And because the truth is, I was looking at a statistic on a Princeton study that said if you are... Um, over I think it was 61, and you've been out of work for um, more than six months so the chance of you becoming fully employed at the level that you left is something like 9% mm.
0: so
4: when you land there, you don't want to spend all your energy trying to get back to something that might not be in the cards for you. It doesn't mean stop altogether, but kind of what are the other um, options? Options that you have. What are the, and that's what I um, uh, you know talk about. I had to get off my throne. Okay, You know, I'm used to, I've got these degrees. I've had certain kinds of jobs. You get used to rolling in the world a, a certain way. And I tell the story, and we're, a very good friend of mine, um, she asked me if I wanted to do some uh, organizing work.
0: hmm
4: And I just assumed she meant community organizing along the lines of what President Obama did in Chicago. She meant organizing somebody's closet. I'm like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Okay. She said, get off your throne. And so uh, in this new normal of financial insecurity, a lot of us, are going to be asked to do things that we haven't done before. Things that we think are maybe beneath our talent or skill level or degrees, et cetera. And this is where I say think strategy, not failure. What do you need to do uh, to secure yourself?
0: Right,
4: Um, right. Those are the kind – that's what my book – um, you know talks about and it talks about you know we're talking about uh, tiny houses um, I'm at the beginning of this year now you know again going through clothes, going through papers looking at what can I uh, you know purge when you look at the, how much We put as Americans In storage There are more Self-storage units In fact twice as many As there are Starbucks and McDonald's combined
2: you No, know, I didn't realize that
4: that's I how, did not
2: realize that
4: That's how much stuff We are We have that cannot fit in the current residences.
2: Well, uh, well, Elizabeth, live on, on that note, because we got some calls that want to speak to you. There's people that listen to this podcast. There's a video on YouTube titled The Story of Stuff. I highly recommend watching that video on YouTube anywhere online you find it. The Story of Stuff. But I did not realize that, that <laughs> that's a lot of storage places, a lot of stuff. We have a caller.
4: Over 50,000. even over 50,000 self self-storage units.
2: Boy. Uh, All right, we got a caller for you, Elizabeth, and people that want to speak to uh, Elizabeth Wright, the author of Faking Normal at 55, and this really applies, in my opinion. Let
4: me get the title. The author of 55, Unemployed, and Faking Normal.
2: There you go. All right. Uh, We have a caller here at uh, Area Code 407. Your mic is open.
5: Good morning, L.A., and thank you, Sister. This is uh, Viata uh, with the Blog Talk Radio Soul Proposal. You are just a a breath of fresh air because um, myself, I'm a baby boomer, and I moved into a tiny house. um, almost. It's been almost two years, and everything you're saying is, so relevant and so important for us to hear and listen to and take action because I just love what you're saying about being creative. You know, we're going to have to move in with uh, Sister Joe said or Sister whatever. We're going to have to ch- uh, change and adopt a new lifestyle. And I, I didn't know that either about the self-storage units, but, you know, visually you can see that as you're driving through my area. These self-storage units are just popping up everywhere. And uh, I'm writing a book, a e-book uh, called Downsizing is a Bitch. Because moving into my tiny house, one of the biggest struggles was letting go of all the stuff that I'd accumulated over 50-plus years. And so that's really, uh, you know, we have to start mentally asking ourselves, what are we ready to let go of? What kind of adjustments can we make? And and you are certainly paving the way so I just bless you on your journey, and I'm going to have to uh, download your book because um, I'm in my book writing. I need all the the ex- extra information and experiences that people are going through, like yourself. So bless you on the journey, and thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. Thank you and please be in
4: touch with me at takingnormal at yahoo dot com. I'd love to hear more of your tiny house story, and um, you know just excited that um, we are beginning to look at these options.
0: Yes.
5: Absolutely. You said faking normal F A K I N G N O R M A L at Yahoo dot com. Right.
4: That's uh yeah. You can that's uh, okay. I check that every bit.
5: Yeah, I will certainly connect with you because we have to uh collectively Bring the solutions for, especially for our generation, because people are so stuck with their stuff. That that's the first step in my mind is helping people let go of their stuff, and then they can they have all these options available. Because then, if you sell your stuff, you might make some money, and then just being ready to move and 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 do different things in your life. So I will definitely connect with you. Yes. Yeah. Say your name once more. It's Viata, V-I-Y-A-H-T-A, and I have two blog shows that I do, uh, one on Sunday night at 8 called Soul Purpose Healing, and then another one on Friday morning, Health and Wellness with Viata, because I've been in the holistic uh, health field for over 20 years, and so I'm just doing a lot of blogging now and then writing about my experience in this tiny house, which has been wonderful. I call this my space. I only have 160 square feet. And I was in a 2,600-square-foot house with my husband and two sons at one time. And now I love where I am because it's my space. And nobody else lives here but me. And I decorate it for me, and I do my work. It's a workplace. It's a rest place. It's a meditation place. And I just got rid of all the stuff that I really didn't need. So it's really a joyful experience now.
4: And one of the the resources that I think uh, is great is uh, it's called um, Tiny House Trailblazers. Uh Uh-huh. And Trailblazers is about people of color who are moving into tiny houses.
5: Okay. I have heard of that. Now you have yet to connect, but I need to do that because you don't see too many people of color in this uh, living space. So, that's good to know. I need to connect with them.
0: Yeah.
5: So thank you so much. Oh, wonderful. Yes, thank you for calling.
2: Okay. You're and welcome. now, also, Elizabeth, in your book, one of the, uh, I guess, strategies that um, I really like, and which is probably the simplest to implement, would be the resilience. groups. Could you explain, break that down for us?
4: So one of the things I realized when I was going through this was that and uh, talking to a few friends about it is that it is really crazy making to try to do this by yourself. To be, um, you know, kind of not trying to fake normal, trying to pretend you're okay, feeling like you don't have options, thinking you're alone, it is, it is crazy making. And what really helped me was having a small group of people that I could tell the truth to, that I could talk honestly about what I was experiencing. And um, you have some moments where you just want to take to the bed. And so uh, I called this group my resilience circle. And when I wrote this book, I wrote it so that people can read it together. And at the end of each chapter, I put uh, what I call reflection questions, things we can ask ourselves as we are going, you know, through this process and journey. And so I talk about in the beginning how you might form a resilient circle. If you know two other people who are in this situation, you have a circle.
0: Mm, Okay.
4: It's just, you know, it could be, you know, two or I think maybe up to eight or 10. And you don't have to do it at somebody's house where then you're, you know, dealing with, you know, is my carpet clean enough? Do I have drinks to serve? You just do it in the library. One of the things I like about libraries is that in many places they've become like community centers. They have chess clubs and book clubs and kind of all of that. You can just meet there. And so I see my book, 55, Unemployed, and Faking Normal. It's just a place to exhale, a place to start this conversation. And then there are um, lots of other books that you can start to read, uh, you know, as you go on. Um, I am working on, and I'll be, you know, kind of... uh, uh, be able to sort of begin it by the later this month, end of this month, is I'm I want to do a few virtual uh, resilience circles that I I wouldn't participate uh, in in um, all of the meetings, but I would want to do three or four. If you're interested in. Um, being in them, you can write me at fakingnormal at yahoo dot com. Put resilience circle in the subject, and uh, let me know what city you're uh, in. Uh, even though I think resilience circles can also be virtual, but if I know what cities, I might be able to help facilitate some groups. Uh-huh. But I think it's, it's a way to start a conversation. We're not having nationally in the way that I think is important to have, All right. and and that means um, where yes, lots of sobering things, but there's possibility here too. You know, we live in this amazing time. You can almost, I was not even say almost. You can get a college education online. There is so much available, so many ways now to connect with people. It's really learning how do we make technology work for us. And so my book is just to um, kind of help those of us who've landed here to gather ourselves and then gather with each other, begin to have these conversations, begin to share information and uh, resources, and begin to sort of be the scaffolding around each other in a circumstance where just in so many cases our government's not going to be there for us.
0: You're
2: absolutely right about that and there uh are there's a lot of strategies As a matter of fact, tomorrow when it's my house, we will be talking about uh the people because it's wintertime now, and people get these high heating bills. some people have already received some high heating bills. I'm talking about real high ones like a thousand dollars plus uh tomorrow we we'll be, we'll be talking about corn furnaces uh which are it's it's part of renewable energy it's clean energy so in, in like if you're in a place like d c Instead of using washing gas, fire washing gas. Get a corn stove in your home. Heat your home with corn. Cleaner, dramatically less cheaper. You're off the grid. But that's tomorrow's podcast. Um, yep. And uh, you know what? I'm gonna start some real resilient groups myself. I'm glad, um so you're right. You know, you got a couple people, and I know a couple people in a lot of places. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna no, no, use I'll tell this you. strategy too.
4: If you start some, I would be, uh, you know, particularly on in a virtual way, I would be happy to uh, come in and participate in some of the discussions. And that's what I'm, you know, hoping uh, to do myself is um, start some uh, myself and then in some of the conversations. Just, you know, be on the, the phone. This is not... I don't feel like the sage on the stage kind of situation. I feel Word. like I want to learn from people. Uh, I'm not in a tiny house. I'm, you know, uh, when I found Trailblazers and Jewel and heard her story, these stories can inspire us to to take a step. We may say, okay, I'm not going to do exactly that. I can't do you know, one and two, but three and four would work in my situation. And that's how we began to
2: think in alternative ways about where we've landed. Right. Well, speaking of which, because you're, you're up in the D.C. area, uh, and for people who don't want to go tiny or go out and tour, there's a lot of tiny house situations are in rural locations. Yeah. Uh, have you, have you uh, circulated through the Sierra Club up in, uh, up in your neck of the woods?
4: I have not.
2: I highly recommend it. Here's why. In the Sierra Club, you run across a lot of people that actually live in that area. And they live uh, in uh, their their homes, might have solar panels on them. They might have windmills on them. They might heat their homes with uh, corn stoves or uh, clean energy sources. Their homes are off the grid, but they might live on Capitol Hill, Bethesda. Silver Spring, Falls Church, Alexandria. Uh, so if you if you get inside the uh, Sierra Club, and they got a few chapters up in, up in your neck of the woods. You'll find people that live those lifestyles in big urban cities already.
4: Wow. Okay. I'm gonna I'll talk off uh, line more about that with you.
2: Right. Right. And the, the Green Fest. I don't know if it still does, but it used to come through that neck of the woods yearly. Probably still does. Uh, but what I've gotten through it is I, I decided for me. I can do more with less if I went rural. So I've, I've, last year I bought like over seventy-one acres of land in different states. So this year we're putting houses and maybe start a community too uh, on those. But it'll be, the muster seed. What it all will be, the resilience circle. Because so like you said, two people. I know a whole lot of two people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll, I'll I'll be with you on that. So we can do a, a virtual circle, and then put the you know the feet to the um, slide on the ground because we we got the real estate part of it. Uh, for people that want to get your book, how can they get it?
4: So the book is available on Amazon
2: for back and also
4: uh, as a uh, you know an ebook. So uh, please get it. Let me hear from you if you have a story. I'm kind of gathering more stories now. And I'll tell you one, um, uh, and, and I'd, I'd like to grapple with this. Um, some I want to hear a story, because so somebody asked me this. And I thought, as I'm, you know, working on uh, a second edition of the book, I want to uh, kind of get into this. So the question is, if you are someone who has landed here, and let's say you don't have the network, you maybe don't feel you have, you know, the sort of work history. You feel it is a, a, a truly dire type situation. You've been there, and you have clawed your way back. I want to hear how you did it. I want to hear what worked, what didn't work, what you realized as you were going through that, um, I had someone say to me once, you know, uh, what happens if you don't have that degree, these degrees? What happens if you, you know, you're just not clear what assets you can really leverage? And I thought, I want to go deep into that question. And there are people who have stories. Who, and I feel we learn as much from our mistakes. What didn't work as what worked. So I'm not saying only write to me if you are all the way through it and everything is fine now. I want to I hear about the journey and your, your process and with a, a, a view to pulling out kind of the important threads that I think all of us could learn from. So again, reach out to me on yahoo.com. You can find my book on Amazon called Fifty Five Unemployed and Thinking Normal. My name is Elizabeth White. I've done a TEDx talk. You'll see uh, other things when you type in my name. That I um, you know I write about this uh, subject regularly. And I am still uh, learning, open to learning, as I said. I tell people this is not a stage-on-a-stage stage type of situation. Um, you can, uh, you know, help me with my process. I am not out of the woods yet.
2: Okay, well, uh, when we pop up and get something out of West Virginia, I'll be, I'll be up in that area probably within... Well, before the end of the year, because they have an unusual travel schedule. Elizabeth, there's another platform I, I would love to see you on. She has got a bigger platform than me as far as podcasts. Plus, she's got a television show. It's a lady named uh, Naima Latif. She has a program called, or her podcast is called, The Female Solution. Matter of fact, Diada, Robinson, who was, who's still online, I believe, is part of that network. Um, but what what's your what's in your book would really go over big with her community because uh, I think that yesterday she did a live stream on um, on Facebook and we were talking about uh, well put it this way what you're talking about has your book has solutions of what some of those people who called in and listened to that live stream yesterday need so. Um, I'll, I'll 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 definitely put you in touch with her. My auntie the female solution, and she's no, got uh she's got a television love, show too.
4: Wonderful. No, would love to be in uh, in touch with her. And and cause it, I, yeah, yeah. In some ways, women um will have a very very key role and in leading us to alternatives. Um, uh one of the things that I realized, you know, just my experience in writing the book, is that uh, it was much harder, uh, I'll put it this way, often when I spoke with men, men were in much more pain, to be the same scenario but that often men did not have anybody to talk to. Right. Women, we will talk to each other. True. When this starts to go down, we do talk to one another. And that talking and sharing and mirroring back helps with the sanity piece of it. But if you're a man where there's a lot of pressure to be the breadwinner, to be successful, to or you're in a situation where your wife is doing all right or your partner's doing all right and you've hit the icy patch, those men were in uh, particular pain and uh, less likely to reach out. And that's why I think that, one, uh, you know, invite men into the, circle, the resilience circle, because I think that mirroring that helps. Uh, But also uh, this idea of a female solution uh, resonates with me in terms of uh, women being in, in the lead often of willing to talk, you know, put the vulnerability on the table, not all women, but when that happens, it's often women who will do it. So, uh, can I, can I say
5: something about that?
0: that. Sure. Yes. Yeah.
5: You know, she makes a good point about the men suffering emotionally because, you know, we've heard about all these men having strokes lately. I, I had a guest on my show last night. All his his feet, male relatives died of strokes or heart attacks, and that motivated him to become a, a wellness minister. So she's so right about that, how men are not uh, maybe expressing their emotions and having the support groups they need, and then they're suffering with all these diseases more than women. Even I think so. Good point,
0: Elizabeth.
2: Yes. No, oh, was, yeah. No. Okay. Yes. It was a good point. I guess a lot of us men just keep it keep it silent. What do we call it? Manning up.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but
2: that you're right <laughs> but that that can cause um cause various health issues so to speak but the book is i, I recommend it to anybody of any age it's uh very, i have read the whole thing yet i'm i'm still stuck i'm two things i like the tiny house park and the, re, the resilient circus i, I look matter of fact that's i'm implementing that because uh That's the little mustard seed I need to really feel what I'll be doing this year. I have just one goal uh, for It's My House, which is we're at the stage of the goal by the end of the year is to build one to five tiny houses per day. So I think we'll reach it in six months. However, we have to start small. We got the land, but we need people to make the whole thing work. So resilient circles. Uh, that that's the catalyst, Now I'll merge that into like meetup groups, and I'll, I'll be calling you when we do virtual. Uh, what do you call it? Virtual virtual conference calls. Um, yeah. Now, one one more thing, Elizabeth. Um, have you thought about retreats? Because the demographic that you address is huge, and it's just not the United States. It's global. I was just in, what, uh, Asia a couple of months ago. So you have people over there that, you know, like in a larger cities, like like Beijing and, and Manila in the Philippines. Um, but there are solutions over there, too, because I've run into a bunch of people that were living off of 300 to $400 a month. However, the people that went in the larger cities that adopted more of a Western lifestyle, they need your book. So have you thought about doing
3: retreats?
4: So where I am on the retreats is um, I'm happy to participate in someone organizing a retreat. I'm, not, I'm less interested in, you know, picking the venue, figuring out the registration. Uh, so I
5: have
4: uh, at this point been invited to speak at a number of retreats or do a workshop, it, you know, it would happen more than
2: okay. All right, well, keep you in mind when we when we organize a retreat, because uh, one, I mean, several can be built around on your uh, your book. Matter of fact, there's another podcast called Living It Up After Fifty. A friend of mine, what's her name? Cynthia Andrews. She's out. Uh, state of Washington, Um, and she's got a pretty interesting. Matter of fact, her audience is like the the exact demographic for your book. But like I said, I I think people are 45, 35, maybe even 25, because we got a lot of them that are faking normal, uh, particularly in your your larger cities. So, um, and a lot of them, you can borrow money, or your social capital can take you but so far, but the strategies in that book uh, and I, the resilience circles, that stimulates thought and conversation, like you say. And out of that, you know, you might, all you need is an idea and you take that idea and implement it and that can really turn your life around. Uh, yeah. In my opinion. So, uh, well, to wrap it up, Elizabeth, any, uh, how can we get in touch with you? I know you can give out the email address again and how we can get the book.
4: Uh, you can reach me on fakingnormal at yahoo dot com, and um, I really, you know, do want to hear from you. And the book is available on Amazon. Again, the title is Fifty Five Unemployed and Faking Normal, and my name is
2: Elizabeth White. Great. Right. And I'll put you in touch with uh, see. Well, Vianna probably already emailed you with uh, Naima Latif, which uh, as part of her radio, well, podcast network already. Uh, her uh, the Female Solution. They, she operates seven days a week with podcasts. I know she probably does two Facebook live streams a week. I think that she does on the weekends. And she's got uh online television too so she's she's a her media is really out there so i'll uh I'll put you in touch with her and i'll I'll yep. be in touch uh so we can uh the music i guess that's my home assignment for today musician circle number one um, yeah. on on that note thank you elizabeth and uh we'll be in touch real soon no thank you so much wonderful talking to you okay everyone uh for now if you want to hear this we're on a live stream but if you want to hear um on demand playback of this podcast within about 10 minutes from now just call 712-432-8863 that's 712-432-8863 and then you can play it back as many times you want for the next 24 hours on that note everyone have a good rest of the day